if we think about a time, one, three, five years from now, and we look back and we ask ourselves, how do I want to be remembered as having behaved during this time? If, if you're a leader, for example, example, how do I want to remember, how do I want people to remember my leadership during this time? That can not only give you a sense of more control because it takes you out of the immediate, out of the present, and it can give you some hope. And it also helps you make choices that are in alignment with your values right now. And doing that can help you feel more positive in general. It can help you feel a sense of integrity. It can help you feel a sense of control and it can make you feel more optimistic. Welcome to the In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White and I am so excited to have Jen Hall join me on this episode. Jen is an executive coach and licensed psychologist co-author of the Leadership Assessment Coaching Mindset Index, and co-author of the Entrepreneurial Mindset Profile. Today, Jen gives us a glimpse of what she has gathered from over 20 years of experience coaching entrepreneurs and executives on cultivating an unshakable entrepreneurial mindset. Well, Jen, thank you for joining me today on Impactor. I'm so excited to have you here. You're not only an expert and a leader in your field, but a good friend of mine. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. So happy to be talking with you. So Jen, I know a lot about your work. I've known you for a number of years, and I know your work centers around the concept of mindset. When you talk about mindset, what do you mean? By mindset, what I mean is the lens that we look at situations through. So it's a kind of a cognitive frame Mm -hmm. because as conscious thinking beings, we not only react to stimuli in our environment, but we think about them. We interpret those stimuli and that will guide our response. So the mindset is a cognitive frame through which we look at the world. Let me give you a simple example. If I have a mindset of abundance, let's say, as Mm -hmm. opposed to a mindset of scarcity, then I'm going to look at business very differently. I'm going to look at competition differently. I'm going to look at collaboration differently. So if I have an opportunity to meet, say, another coach who's doing the same work as I am in the same area I am, with a mindset of scarcity, I will look at that person as a competitor. I'm not likely to connect with them. But if I have a mindset of abundance and I believe that the world has plenty of resources for all of us, I'm much more likely to create a collaborative relationship with that person. So that's a very simple example Mm -hmm. of mindset. But we can talk about all kinds of different mindsets and they drive how we see the environment and therefore they determine or they at least influence our choices in the environment. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. You know, I've noticed that with colleagues, like when I'm in a meeting and how differently we might look at a similar situation. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. Now, you can look at a situation based on a number, differently based on a number of factors. So some of it will be kind of the personality you're born with and also your experience. But mindset is so interesting to me as a psychologist and a coach because it's one of the things I think that we can control. 
we can choose to change or to shift our mindset if our current mindsets are not serving us well. To do that, of course, you have to first identify, you have to recognize your mindset for what it is, think about how it's impacting your outcomes, and then decide if you want to make a change in it. That's really informative. You know, it's always empowering, isn't it, to be able to know that you can affect some change. So there may be some personality factors that kind of we're born with, and maybe we need to learn to adapt to those a little bit, but there's some other things we can change. And that's the mindset that you're referring to and the way you describe it. So Jen, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to get back to that a little bit more and maybe talk a little bit more about how we can modify our own mindset if we so desire. But I, I want to go back. You mentioned that a little bit about your background and I always enjoy finding out about people which is something you get to do as a psychologist and have. We've talked about that. But you've been a college professor, I know, like myself. You've been a coach. You've worked with a lot of business leaders over the years and still do. Now you're an entrepreneur. You have your own business. And although you tell me you're not really one, I think, <laughs> but you do have your own business and I know you're doing a great job with that. Can you tell us a little bit, go back and tell us about your background. What led you into psychology and what led you down this path that's kind of been an interesting career path, I think, for a psychologist? Thank you. Yeah, I feel so lucky to have really kind of stumbled into executive coaching and leader development. So I went into psychology simply because I've always been fascinated by people. I loved to read when I was a kid and I loved fiction and I loved characters and thinking about what made people behave the way they do. And in college, I was thinking about going into, I definitely knew I wanted to major in psychology and I did, but I was thinking about either law or a graduate degree in psychology after college. And I did an internship at a law firm and I realized I didn't love it. I didn't want to be doing that all day. My parents always taught us to just do what we loved, right? And the rest would kind of mm -hmm. take care of itself. So I decided to get a PhD in psychology, even though it meant five years, which when you're 21 feels like a lifetime, Long right? time, yes. <laughs> and I decided to do that. And then I thought I wanted to do teaching and research. So I started teaching at a small college in St. Pete, Eckert College after that. And I loved teaching, but I didn't like, and we've talked about this before, I didn't like the grading. I didn't like the evaluative right. aspect right. of teaching. And so luckily for me, at Ecker College, there was a network associate of the Center for Creative Leadership, CCL, which is a worldwide organization for leadership, research, and development. And I started doing some coaching there part-time, and I loved it so much that five years in, I quit my tenure-track job to start a coaching program. At the time, we were doing feedback with executives who came from all over the country and from all over the world to our leadership programs. We'd sit down and we would debrief the assessments that they took as part of the program, but there was no ongoing coaching. So that's what I did after I quit my faculty job. I started an executive coaching program and I did that for 15 years. I did a little stint at CCL itself, one of their campuses in Colorado Springs. My role there was to select and develop the coaches and also do some coaching. And 
after, yeah, after doing that for a long time, and really, really the, this is where I met you, Rebecca, of course, two of my colleagues and I decided to create an assessment of entrepreneurial mindset because we didn't know of anything like it on the market. And we thought that entrepreneurial mindset serves not only business people, but also the corporate leaders who were our primary customers. And so our philosophy is always get an assessment. It might not be 100% error free, right? But it's really helpful to know what someone's starting point is. And one of my favorite sayings is prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Mm -hmm. So how can you train someone to think more like an entrepreneur if you don't know what the baseline is, where their starting point is? So we spent a few years being academics, we took our time, spent a few years developing this assessment. And when I took it myself, I didn't really think the results would come back accurately because I knew the items so well, but I really tried my best to answer the questions honestly. Mm -hmm. And when I got the results, they both resonated with and surprised me because I could recognize myself, but I hadn't realized before that, that in some ways I operated much more like an entrepreneur than an academic or a corporate kind of person. So in terms of how quickly I like to decide and how quickly I like to move, how much I value independence, how passionate I was about the work I was doing. And so after about a year of noodling on it, I quit my job and went into business for myself. Yeah. Well, you know, even looking back, you're, you were the innovator in term, and the leader in terms of adding the coaching program, which is an entrepreneurial mindset, because perhaps not everybody would have seen that opportunity. And that's, you know, that's a big part of entrepreneurial mindset is to be able to recognize opportunities and then the willingness to execute on them. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you. You know, one of the things I've learned through the the research with the entrepreneurial mindset profile is to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to have all of the skill sets or all of the qualities mm-hmm. of a prototypical entrepreneur. Many, many of us don't have all of it. And one thing that I will not credit myself with is seeing that opportunity. That was really that was really the vision of the organization, of the leader of the organization mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think what I brought to that more was the execution <laughs> than right. the opportunity recognition. So over the years, now having met more and talked to more entrepreneurs like yourself and doing more research, I've tried to hone opportunity recognition a bit more, but that was not something that came naturally to me. I wasn't, unlike you, I wasn't raised in an entrepreneurial family. Everyone's idea was to get a good, stable job and do it for the rest of your life. So that's been something that I've had to cultivate. And do you feel like you've been able to make some progress there? I think I have. I like to hope that I have. It's been a slow change in my identity, Mm -hmm. but I have now co-authored another assessment, the Coaching Mindset Index, which I'm really excited about and I'm passionate about training other people in that. And I'm starting to do one other thing that's kind of on the cutting edge in the US, not in Europe and Australia. It's very well established there as a professional niche, but that's called coach supervision. So I've informally supervised coaches for practically my entire career, but there's a discipline, an academic discipline around it and a growing body of literature and practice. And so I recently was went through, I guess I'm not certified yet, I recently went through a program with Oxford Brooks University in the UK. I was part of the second US-based cohort that went through that. And now I'm going to pursue that. And I think that's going to be a really growing field in the US. So did I pioneer it? No, but I think I recognized maybe early on that that would be kind of the next big 
the next big development in coaching, sure, professional coaching. Sure, and I think that's a misnomer, really, that a lot of people and a lot of my students believe that they have to come up with a pioneering concept that nobody else has ever created. Yeah. But, you know, many of the opportunities that I've taken advantage of over the years have, have not been completely novel, and they may not have come from me. But what I was able to recognize was that there, the context or the environment was right, and it was worth putting my time, energy, and effort into. And I know from talking to you at, at other times that you, you created a model, I remember, to think about how you wanted to spend your time. <laughs> you remember talking to me about that? And yes, it's very simple, but yeah. It, it is simple, but it's powerful. And I think that's the way an entrepreneurial mindset thinking around opportunity recognition really works is having some sort of some sort of an understanding of yourself and of the context and whether or not it's a good fit because timing is always an important part of it but it's really i think this entrepreneurial mindset is i think very fascinating it's something i've spent a lot of time on as well and you know i agree with you that it's something that we can cultivate otherwise i wouldn't be teaching probably <laughs> in space but as you think about mindset and we've already talked about the fact that it's probably something you can cultivate what do you do when you find yourself taking one of these assessments or thinking about yourself like you did, and you say, well, I've got a little of this and a little of that. This is something I really want to do, but do I really have what it takes? Mm -hmm. So what do you do at that point? I mean, mm -hmm. how do you make that progress that you've made? Or are there other solutions? Do you, do you surround yourself with other people? I mean, do you have thoughts on that? I do. And I would say it's some of all of that, Rebecca. So with the EMP, for example, we measure 14 different dimensions that our research has found differentiate the average entrepreneur, as if there is such a thing, from the average corporate manager. So we compare those scores to those of entrepreneurs versus corporate managers. And the first thing we like to have people do is to identify their strengths, their strengths in entrepreneurial thought and action. So where are they most like entrepreneurs? So for example, let's say someone is really high on persistence and self-confidence and passion, right? Well, that's great. Those are the three things then that can really be considered entrepreneurial strengths and that we would invite them to leverage in service of their goals, which in this case would probably be launching an initiative or a business, right? So let's identify those strengths and think about how to best leverage those. Let's then look at the areas where someone is not necessarily aligned with entrepreneurial thought and action. So they're either kind of average, kind of like the corporate manager, or maybe low. Let's say the person is quite low on idea generation, for example. Well, there are some things that they could do to actually enhance that skill set. And there, we have a development guide that goes with EMP that has lots of resources and ideas. Someone can work with a coach or someone can just on their own try to learn as much as they can about strategies for brainstorming and idea generation 
or they can try to partner with someone who's already naturally strong in that area. So essentially they can borrow that from, from that person and they can uh -huh. team up in complementary ways. So I really like to think about co-founders skill sets and the degree to which they are similar and dissimilar and make sure that they're using complementary skill sets as opposed to letting them cause friction and tension, which they often do if those co-founders are not kind of self-aware and they don't recognize the value that the other one brings. So those are some of the things they can do. And in general, if you're trying to develop any mindset, whether it's an entrepreneurial mindset or a more collaborative mindset or a more positive mindset, is to surround yourself with people who have that mindset because it can be contagious and it can essentially offer your mind new ways of looking at the world that mm -hmm. you can then start to adopt. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first took this and, you know, you and I, you, you debriefed me, but one of the interesting things to me about this tool is that you've identified certain traits or characteristics, we might want to call them, aspects of, of who we are, of our mindset that are more personality-based and some that yes. are that are more skills-based. And one of the interesting ones is optimism, which is included <laughs> in skills. And it's, you know, I, not being a trained psychologist, kind of went into this thinking, well, optimism, some people are just born optimistic, some are pessimistic, some are kind of in the middle. And you told me at that time that optimism can be can be changed and, and that we can become more positive and optimistic. And, you know, as I think about where we are right now, you know, our world has been really tough in 2020. <laughs> and I think it might be worth taking a minute or two to talk about this whole idea of how do we stay positive when we're dealing with something like a pandemic, we're dealing with a lot of unrest and division in the world. Do you have thoughts on that? Because I think some of our listeners might might be challenged, especially right now. Their businesses may not be doing so well in, in this environment. You know, what kinds of things can we do to stay more positive and to build that positivity, especially during a time like this? Yeah, it's a great question. And just to go back for a minute, one of the reasons that we put optimism into the skills category as opposed to the personality category is that there is in fact research that supports the hypothesis that it can change. And there's a book written by a very prominent psychologist named Martin Seligman. It's called Learned Optimism. And he actually is the first to admit that we are all born with a predisposition somewhere along the optimism to pessimism continuum. He said, I was born a curmudgeon. He said, but through his research, he showed that based on particular ways of training the mind in terms of what he calls attributional style, we can make changes in how optimistic we are. And so in particular, to oversimplify it, what is really helpful is to, to look very carefully at what you have control over and what you don't, and to look at what you can influence and you can't, and to focus on those things. There is a lot, especially right now, that we don't have control over in terms of the pandemic, in terms of the political situation. So focusing on what you can change, whether it's your vote or whether it's you wear a mask or whether it is how you try to influence those around you, that that can make a real difference in how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis and that can influence your optimism. Right. So it kind of depends what you choose to focus on and look at. The other strategy that I would say is very helpful, 
and I started hearing about this at the start of the pandemic, it's been very helpful for me, is to think, let's say, five years into the future, three to five years into the future. Right now, it's so easy to be overwhelmed, right? There's just, for those of us who have kids, the kids are at home. We don't know whether to send them to school. Like nothing feels like a good answer. For those who live alone, they're lonely, right? That they miss human connection. For those who have underlying conditions, they can be terrified or have loved ones with underlying conditions or who are elderly, they can be terrified. Lots we don't have control over. But if we think about a time, one, three, five years from now, and we look back and we ask ourselves, how do I want to be remembered as having behaved during this time? If, if you're a leader, for example, example, how do I want to remember, how do I want people to remember my leadership during this time? That can not only give you a sense of more control because it takes you out of the immediate, out of the present, and it can give you some hope. And it also helps you make choices that are in alignment with your values right now. And doing that can help you feel more positive in general. It can help you feel a sense of integrity. It can help you feel a sense of control and it can make you feel more optimistic. Yeah, that's great advice. And I know one of the things I have to do is occasionally turn off the news and just stop focusing on it because if I focus on it too much, it's it's hard. But I think that's really great advice. I, I'm going to think about that when I start. A friend of mine sent me, you know, a new word for today and it's called the Corona Coaster. <laughs> And it's the roller coaster, <laughs> the roller coaster of our emotions. And yes. I thought it was, you know, very appropriate. So you, I love talking about this entrepreneurial mindset and the EMP. I use the EMP with my students. And something you may not know is I'm asking my guests on InFactor to also take the EMP. So I'm, I'm very fascinated by what we might be able to find. And, and I, like your, I like your suggestions. You know, one of the things that I try to do is when students are working in teams, in a class where we've done the EMP, we try to look at how they might complement each other. So it might be that some of our listeners who haven't taken it might want to take it and, and kind of think about how they can use it in that way. You also more recently developed or collaborated on the development of a tool for coaching. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. That one is called the Coaching Mindset Index. You can see a theme here with my business name and the names of the assessments. The Coaching Mindset Index. And the reason we developed it, so, so executive coaches can take it and they find it useful. I found it useful when I took it, especially the 360 degree version, so I could get feedback from my clients. But the primary market for this assessment are leaders, leaders in organizations, whatever kind of organization that is, whether you're a business leader and you run your own business and you have people who report to you or you work within a, another organization. Because increasingly what I have found in my work is that leaders are expected to be good coaches to their people. You know, you might know that Google identified that as the number one characteristic of an outstanding leader is the ability to coach others. But what's happening is leaders are expected to do coaching without much formal training, right? They're just told, go and coach your direct reports. So how does, so what are you supposed to do as a leader? You're either doing what you've seen done before, which may or may not be helpful, or you're identifying people who you thought were terrible leaders and you're doing something different than that, 
or more likely, you're using the same approach and same strategies that you use to solve business problems, right? Which is you try and identify the problem and you give your solution and you say, make it so, let it be done. And you think that's going to work, but people don't work that way. So you need to do it differently. So that's kind of the baseline of how leaders coach others. The second way is they are sent to some kind of training. The organization, either internally or externally, sends them to training, which is a great start. But we also know that people don't learn from massed learning, right? They learn from space learning. They learn over time as opposed to going to a two-day event. And what's happening with these coaching trainings, in my experience, is that they aren't very sticky because I'll ask a room full of leaders from different organizations, how many of you are expected to be good coaches to your teams? They all raise their hands every single time. Then I'll say, how many of you have had any kind of training in coaching? And about half of them raise their hands. And then I say, and how many of you remember the model that you learned or the process that you learned? How many could you explain it to me? And then hardly anybody raises their hand. And if someone does, I say, well, what model did you learn? And they say, ah, I think it was called the grow model. Uh, okay, that's a, that's a great coaching model. What does that mean? And they can't remember it or they're not using it. So what we wanted to do was develop a framework because I think people tend to remember frameworks, a framework that's simple and intuitively sound and memorable, but also create an assessment based on that framework, because that's what I saw was missing. I didn't see in the environment any good assessment of coaching skills, coaching strategy, coaching mindset. So we created one, and it's really very simple. So there's three coaching foundations. These are the things we think have to happen in any coaching relationship, coaching engagement, leader, direct report relationship, so that development happens. And that is providing, sharing feedback, setting goals and finding solutions, right? Because coaching is all designed to help you identify and reach important goals. So you have to go from point A to point B. It's not always linear. It's not always all progress. You know, you can change your goals, you can pivot, but ultimately you're trying to reach some performance or development goals. And so all three of those things have to happen. And then we also cross that with a more directive versus a more supportive approach. We call those push and pull. And then we end up with six overall strategies. So when someone takes the CMI, they find out how much or to what extent they are using each one of these six strategies compared to the norm group. So I might find out, for example, let's say I think I'm a great coach. Lots of leaders feel like they're good at coaching. And maybe it's because when I'm giving feedback, I use a lot of compassion. I'm so nice about it. Rebecca, I'm going to tell you what you're doing well and what you're not doing well. And it's going to feel really good to you because I'm so nice. And maybe though, I'm only focusing on your performance, not on your development, not on what's important to you. And I'm also maybe using a lot of advocacy that is using my experience and giving you advice and not asking you a lot of open-ended questions. So I might think I'm a really good coach, but I'm probably underutilizing some key strategies that could really unlock some motivation and some potential in you, which is asking you, where do you want to be? What do you want to learn? Where do you want to go? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just focusing on what I need you to do for the organization. And I'm probably just trying to solve all your problems for you as opposed to challenging and inviting you to think through those and solve them yourself. And in doing that, I'm not tapping into your greatest potential. And I'm also probably fostering dependence on me because I'm always giving you the answers. Mm -hmm. So by taking the assessment, individual leaders and entrepreneurs are able to identify 
What are they leaning on maybe more heavily than they want to? What do they want to do more of or less of? And most importantly, I think it helps leaders think about how they can become more versatile and intentional in their coaching Mm -hmm. as opposed to just doing what they've always done. So to think about the needs of that particular employee in that moment and choosing your coaching approach as a result of that. Very yeah. intentionally. I know. I learned a lot when I took it, and, and I, I, I want to spend more time on it. But that's what you talked about. Some of what you talked about is some of the things I've struggled with personally, because I'm a very driven, outcomes-based kind of person. And I often separate, you know, feel-good conversations from let's get it done kind of conversations. <laughs> and and I know over the years, I've found that that the outcome of that is that employees have become dependent on me and yes. not just like you mentioned. And that then frustrates me because I want them to be independent and I want them to be, you know, thinking, but I'm not always... I'm not always recognizing, or I I haven't always recognized that. So it's been a challenge, something I've worked on, and I've I've found it very, very helpful, the things that that your profile provides, the information. And as you you well know, you work with our coaches. We have a coaching program at, at our university, and I'd like to, if you don't mind, flip this around a little bit, because a lot of our listeners are not yet at the point where their primary focus is on coaching, their primary focus might be on being coached. And I don't see a whole lot out there. You know, I spend time talking with students and young entrepreneurs a lot of time talking about how they need to be coachable. But Mm. that coachability, could you talk a little about what makes someone coachable and how our listeners can get the most out of working with a coach or a mentor? And I know yeah, those mean absolutely. different things, but, and I don't know if we want to get into that, but, <laughs> but, but how can they take advantage of that? Sure. Yeah. And if you don't mind, <laughs> like a true psychologist, I'm happy to share my thoughts, but I'm really curious, Rebecca, about what leads you to coach them in that way. And what do you notice is the difference between students who are more and less coachable? So some of the things I've noticed is that they don't understand the reciprocity of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So imagine I'm in a situation with you and the only thing I do, I walk in and immediately I want to tell you everything about me and what I know as opposed to listening. So they kind of, and I don't know if reciprocity is the right word, but I always, especially in a networking kind of situation, I'm, I try to encourage, I try to encourage them to listen. Certainly it's good to ask questions and to approach things from a listener perspective, but that's been a problem that I've seen is that it's, it's kind of all about them as opposed to getting to know somebody and, and building a relationship so that you can have maybe what I would consider a more vulnerable and open discussion would be one thing. Another would be, which is something, I guess, maybe it's the same thing, but again, it's always talking versus being open to listening. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then also kind of going into it being, you know, when I work with a lot of startups, they are absolutely certain they have figured out the, the answer. <laughs> So even though they say they want coaching, what they really Uh, want is probably some other kind of support, uh you know, and so I think that's it, you know, it's a willingness to 
maybe be vulnerable, to Mm -hmm. recognize that this is another human being that I'm working with. Those are some of the things. And, if, you know, of course, kind of a confusion between arrogance and self-confidence. You know, certainly yes. you need self-confidence, but an arrogance. So those are the kind of coachability concerns I've seen. That's really interesting. Those are the, that's really good advice for your students. And, of course, as you talk about that, it strikes me that there's a big difference between the kind of mentoring slash coaching relationship a student would have with an established, successful entrepreneur right? And a coaching relationship that one would have with a boss or an executive coach, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. let's in executive coaching, for example, I don't expect my clients to have that kind of reciprocity. Generally, they're lovely people and they'll ask me how I'm doing, right? But I don't, they're paying me. It's a paid contractual relationship, right? So it can be all about them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But when you're establishing a relationship with someone who could be helpful to you, who's a very busy professional, absolutely it makes sense. I guess I would say that your advice to them is really, really good. And essentially at the bottom of it is you're saying, think about what you want to get out of this. And based on what you want to get out of it, think about whether your choices are actually maximizing that possibility, right? Because if you want to learn from this individual and you do nothing but talk, you're not going to learn anything, right? If you want to learn from this individual and you're not open to feedback, that's not going to happen. So if all you want to do is have someone tell you your idea is great, then acknowledge that. But let's also look at the the pitfalls of that, which is you're not going to learn anything, right? So again, I always come back to mindset, like what's your mindset going in? I would encourage a student to have a mindset of curiosity, right? I think this is one of the mindsets that serve all of us best, a mindset of curiosity as opposed to a mindset of judgment. And by judgment, I don't mean judgmentalness. I mean that this is typically how our minds work, most of us, right? We we have so much information to process all the time that it serves us well. It allows us to make decisions and to take action in the world and to get things done by going, oh, okay, well, which of those routes should I take to work? Okay, let me take that one. We can't go, oh, well, I wonder, what could I see on that one? And how about that one? We make quick decisions. We make judgments. We meet someone. We're deciding quickly, is this someone who I think is competent? Is this someone I think is likable or not? And we act accordingly. It takes more energy and it takes intentionality to adopt a mindset of curiosity But if you want to learn from somebody else, and if you want to establish a relationship with someone else, it's very helpful. Yeah. So, you know, Richard Branson says that curiosity is, is I think, the number one attribute of entrepreneurs. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So do you think of curiosity and judgment as being on a continuum? Is that, did I understand that correctly? So that if you're curious, you're less likely to be highly judgmental? Is that? I think so. And again, I don't mean a judgmental as in like a negative way, like passing judgments, but kind of like making decisions and coming to conclusions as opposed to opening up the possibilities. Mm -hmm. So I think that at any given time, we're somewhere along that dimension. And both of them are helpful. And just like coaching, just like entrepreneurial mindset in some ways, the context is so important, right? So sometimes I'm going to need to make fast decisions and move on. And I don't have a lot of time to think and contemplate. But at other times, curiosity serves me better. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's a continuum. But where we want to be along that continuum can and should vary depending on the context. Right, right. So that's the thing. It's self-awareness, right? And it's self-awareness. A, and maybe even some some context and other awareness as well at the same yes. time. 
So do you think it would be worthwhile possibly to adopt a practice to ask someone that's agreed to coach you to give you feedback on whether they are experiencing you as coachable and why or why not? Would that be helpful? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Open up the channels of communication. The more feedback we get, the better off we are. And people don't typically go around giving unsolicited feedback. And so asking for it is a great idea. And even in asking the question, think about what you're conveying. You are conveying, I value your judgment and I want to be open to you. That's a very powerful thing to convey. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to another line of thinking that really is fascinating and interesting to me. I think one of the reasons that at least I in the past and, and maybe I've observed in others have not been open and vulnerable and allowed that kind of feedback is self-protection. And sure. so how do we, you know, resilience is and the ability to be vulnerable, I think is very important to an entrepreneur. And, and with most of my guests, I talk with them about their own experiences as an entrepreneur with failure and how they've dealt with it. But with you, I'd like to talk a little bit more from a psychologist perspective of, you know, if we, if we at least for a few minutes, accept that failure and significant challenge is probably in the path to almost any level of significant success. How do we deal with that vulnerability and how do we stay resilient when we get something that, you know, a situation that's pretty devastating? So how do we keep going through that? That is such a good question, Rebecca. And for me, it really comes down to growth versus fixed mindset. So have you heard those terms before? I think I have, but we're on to another aspect of our mindset, right? <laughs> yes, right. And this really, this really, I think is- Is this the next assessment tool that- <laughs> No, 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 no. Unfortunately, it's actually pretty straightforward to assess. But there's a great book written by Carol Dweck, who is a psychologist, and gosh, I forget the year it was published, but the name is Mindset, then it has something like the psychology of success after the colon, something like that. But if you look up Mindset and Carol Dweck, you'll find a million references to it. I recently reread the book, and I believe that Carol Dweck is really responsible for the widespread use of the term and the concept of mindset in everyday life. She really brought it into the public consciousness. And she just talked about those two kinds of mindsets, but I think that they are fundamentally important and that they're at the basis of a lot of other kinds of iterations of mindset. So the basic idea is this, and this is an oversimplification, of course, but the basic idea is that people with a fixed mindset believe that our intelligence, our skills, our talents, they're pretty much fixed. So what we're born with, we can hone it a little bit, but we're not going to see significant changes in that, right? People with a growth mindset, on the other hand, think that we have lots of potential and that people can become wiser, more experienced. They learn from failure. They learn from success and that there is almost unlimited potential. So you can start to see, I'm sure already, the implications of operating with a fixed versus with a growth mindset. People with a fixed mindset, because they don't believe that talent and ability changes that much, they become more invested in documenting their own intelligence, success and abilities than they are in developing it. So you can imagine that when someone with a fixed mindset has a failure, that's going to be devastating to them because it th they think it reflects upon who they are and who they will always be. 
If you have a growth mindset, on the other hand, you look at failure very differently and you say, ah, okay, what can I learn from that and do differently next time? So the book is really, I highly recommend it. I recommend it to a lot of clients. They find a lot of satisfaction in it. Ironically, people who are, so I'm going to go out on a limb and wager, Rebecca, that at one point you might have had aspects of a fixed mindset because a lot of time kids who are very high achievers in school and they get rewarded for that and praised for that, it feels good, but it also means that their identity kind of becomes wrapped up in that. And yes. if they have any setbacks or failures, it can be especially difficult for them. So many high achievers along the way recognize that a fixed mindset, even without identifying it or labeling it as such, are holding them back because they become unwilling to try new things if they're not automatically, you know, right off the bat good at it. Mm -hmm. And so they get more and more narrow in their interests. Whereas having a fixed or a growth mindset really does allow for that curiosity and that experimentation and that bouncing back from failure because a failure is really just a learning opportunity. Yeah, that, you know, I can, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about how powerful it would be if, if all parents could help their children develop growth mindsets. And, and yet yes. a lot of times, like you said, we reward, you know, all of the the high achievement and young our children and young people get obviously very good feelings from that and they want more of that and that's how we've that's kind of how we discipline that's how we that's how we raise our kids a lot of times so you know one of the gifts my mom did give me was that she always said to me well if you've never made a mistake you've never done anything so oh, yeah. i did hear that but you're exactly right i think you know i've struggled with this from time to time I'm, and i'm sure that a lot of our successful entrepreneurs have because if you have a lot of success the fall gets is very painful but That's so right. So, but this is where this is where you can intentionally adopt a different mindset. Right. Look right. at that experience differently and respond. And just real quickly, in case there are any parents listening, there are a ton of great resources for parents because Carol Dweck does talk at length about how parents and teachers inadvertently reinforce a fixed mindset. And I actually bought for both of my kids a book called The Big Life Journal, mm -hmm. which is a workbook that helps kids go through activities and exercises that are designed to foster a growth mindset. That's great. I'm going to get that book and read it. I think it would be fascinating. And You'll love it. I yeah. know you will. Yeah. And so as we're talking about that, what I'm hearing to kind of summarize, and I could, I could continue this conversation all day. I love it. It's Me fascinating. And, and you're so interesting to listen to, Jen. I really, oh. really appreciate it. But if I could kind of pull together, what we're saying is that we, we have a certain mindset and there, there's, you know, the entrepreneurial mindset, there's the coaching mindset, there's the coachy mindset, if you will, you know, and so we have the ability to become more aware of ourselves, of our own mindset and, and the assessment tools that you've created help with that. But there are a lot of other books and resources out there and you've yes. mentioned a lot of them. Thank you for that. And these are all really, these are all really, really powerful ways for us to get to know ourselves better so that we can adapt our own mindset 
to the extent that we would like. And we can also surround ourselves with people that can be complimentary. Would you say that's a, a correct way to think? Absolutely. About? Well said. Well summarized. Uh, great. <laughs> As a teacher, that's what, you know, that's what we do. So <laughs> I always like to, like I said, I could talk on, but I'm going to have to bring it to a conclusion. I always like to ask my guests, if there's one piece of advice you could leave with our listeners and and it could be about anything, but I'm hoping maybe there'll be something about mindset in there since that's what we've been talking about. <laughs> but if, if there's one piece of advice that you could leave with our listeners, knowing that we're talking to students and, and nascent entrepreneurs and early stage entrepreneurs, what would it be? So you don't want something like make your bed every morning? That's not what you're looking for? <laughs> well, I know you're a mom, but yeah. So, but, you know, actually, that is, there's, a, there's a lot of theory. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of, that's at least one accomplishment a day, right? Yeah. From a mom perspective, it would be brush your teeth. I can't believe that I still have to tell my kids that five times a day to get them to just do it twice. Um, no, it, it would really be to choose your mindset, Choose your mindset. Think about the way you want to look at the world to create the life that you want to create for yourself. Yeah, great, great advice. Thank you for that. So, Jen, you've got a couple of assessments out there, a website. Where can our listeners find out more about you and, and the work that you've done and maybe if they want to take one of the assessments? Oh, well, thank you for asking. So my website is just drjenhall.com, D-R-J-E-N-H-A-L-L.com. I'm a typical, maybe, I don't know if this is typical of entrepreneurs or just psychologists. We're terrible at marketing. So I haven't updated my website because <laughs> I'm not giving my website company any content. I'm ra I'd rather do the work than, you know, talk about the work. Right. But so the, there is a website and then you can find the EMP at emindset.com profile.com. That one, actually, anyone can go online and take. It costs $45. They can take it and get the results right away. And then the coaching mindset can be found at coachingmindset.net. That one, you have to go through a coach or a certified practitioner to take, but you can learn a lot more there. So thanks for asking. It's yeah. been so fun talking to Rebecca, as always. I felt Thank like I was just too. having a conversation with a, with a friend who's very curious. Yes. Well, I really I enjoyed it. Enjoy. Thank you so much. And I know everybody that listens will get a lot out of this. So thanks, Jen. Thanks, Rebecca.